Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Hi, church. My name is Deanne, and my pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm a member of the spiritual care team here at Galileo, one of Galileo's ordination candidates, um, and currently the interim pastor for Inside Out this summer. This is the eighth Sunday after Pentecost, and we are in week seven of our summer worship series as one having authority. Tonight we are reading from Matthew 1, I mean, excuse me, Matthew 11, 1 through 11. But before we do, just a brief preface to the text. In the previous chapter of Matthew, Jesus has been instructing his disciples in ministry and is now about to pick up with his teachings again. This is the point where we are reintroduced to John the Baptist. John has played a significant role in the life and story of Jesus. He has done the hard work of trying to prepare for the Messiah's coming. Preaching his message from the wilderness, John himself is a fulfillment of prophecy. He initiates Jesus in the full-time ministry with baptism, yet not long after he baptized Jesus, John was arrested for offering what we might be able to assume was unsolicited criticism of Herod's choice of a bride. John ends up in prison, which is where um, we find him when he re-enters the narrative. So Matthew 11, 1 through 11. Now when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and proclaim his message in their cities. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with a skin disease are cleansed, the deaf hear, The dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is something I don't think I've ever admitted to anyone. It's one of my biggest fears in life. It's not a rational fear. I can admit that. Maybe it's too much TV, too many podcasts. I'm sure there's some explanation for it, maybe. One of my biggest fears is of going to jail. I don't know why. Like I said, it's not rational. 
I don't break laws. Well, I'd be lying if I said I don't speed because that does happen sometimes or maybe more than sometimes. But I've never committed something like fraud or stolen anything and I don't make it a practice to harm other people. But I've seen enough Orange is the New Black, watched the Shawshank Redemption too many times to count, and listened to as many true crime podcasts to know, one, anyone can go to jail, two, always ask for a lawyer, and three, I probably will not make a very good prisoner. I've laid awake at night reflecting on my past, wondering if there is anything the police could come breaking down my door for so they can drag me away, never to be seen again. Like I said, it's not rational. I've often wondered what people do to pass the time in prison. With my Enneagram 6 personality, I would probably do a lot of reflecting. I'm really good at remembering every detail of every conversation I've ever regretted and still cringe about. I can go back as far back as five years old, no joke. I also, and this isn't healthy, I also excel <laughs> at second guessing and questioning everything I've ever said, done, and believed. I am also amazing at second guessing everything everyone else has ever said, done, and their motivations behind all of it. So when sitting with the Matthew text in preparation for writing the sermon, I found myself wondering if while sitting in jail, did John reflect back on his life and his ministry? And was he as good at it as I am? Did he recall the stories he was told as a kid? Stories about how he was conceived based on a promise an angel made to his dad? Did John cringe at the thought of his vocation being chosen for him before his mom even gave birth? I wonder if he thought about the pressure he felt as a kid when he was learning about the prophecies of the Messiah who would come and save the world. Did he remember feeling the weight of expectation when he was taught he was also a fulfillment of prophecy, that he was the one Isaiah talked about, the voice crying in the wilderness, the person who would announce to anyone who would listen about a savior who would be an agent of change for people who desperately needed rescuing. I think if I had grown up with the future of the world on my shoulders, I might be covered in camel's hair, eating locusts, and sipping on wild honey too. John knew the prophecies. He believed the prophecies, and he lived into the prophecies. John preached repentance, the coming Messiah, and baptized people who came from all around to hear his message. So it might have come as a shock when John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? John, the same man who just a few chapters earlier said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, but you come to me. The same man who saw God's spirit descending on Jesus, the man who is a cousin and friend is the one asking, are you sure you're the Messiah? John doesn't ask if a Messiah is coming. He asks if Jesus is the Messiah. Is Jesus the one they've been waiting for? John apparently was kept informed about what Jesus was teaching and the miracles that were happening while he was in prison. In Matthew chapter 3, John preached that the Messiah would have his winnowing fork in his hand 
and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In other words, God would separate the good from the bad, the beneficial from the not so beneficial, and destroy them. These images are in contrast to Jesus' message and acts of compassion and mercy that John is hearing about. The two messages aren't fully aligning. Is Jesus and his role as Messiah not living up to John's expectations, prompting John to ask, are you the one? Casting doubt on Jesus' identity and his authority. You would think that with all that John was hearing about Jesus and the authority in which he was operating out of, or with everything John had been taught, understood to be true, and had even experienced, Jesus will be a little put out or upset by John's doubt. My personal experience has been, and maybe there are a few others here in the room who can relate, when you start to move away from certainty and question what, have you, what you have believed to be true or have been told is true, you are oftentimes confronted with confusion, anger, hostility, or even outright hate. But that wasn't John's experience with Jesus. Instead of expressing frustration or anger, Jesus paraphrases the prophet Isaiah and says to John's disciples, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with a skin disease are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Not only was John not met with frustration when he expressed his doubt, Jesus reaffirmed who John was as a person and his identity as a prophet. Jesus reminded people that while John was not flashy or flamboyant, but actually the complete opposite, John was unwavering in his convictions and did not follow popular opinion. Maybe Jesus knew, whether John realized it or not, that his doubt and his question, are you the one, would create the space and room needed for a new expectation to take root, a new understanding of what it meant to be the Messiah to form in John. Similar to Old Testament prophets, maybe John was expecting an out with the old and an in with the new physical reign of authority, rescue and saving from the oppressive regime of the time, an overthrow of the government, but rather than physically taking down the political and religious authorities, Jesus flipped the script and turned the tables with his words in acts of love, mercy, and compassion. Rather than destruction, Jesus pointed people towards peace and healing. Maybe John was even hoping for his own release from prison. Sometimes, like John, our life's circumstances can bring into question and challenge our theological assumptions of who God is and how God should operate in our world and in our lives. We find ourselves reflecting and questioning and doubting from the decisions we make to the things we say or do or to the God we have been placing our faith in. Like John with Jesus, we aren't met with anger and hostility because we aren't conforming to one way of thinking or being. As a matter of fact, neither John or Jesus followed popular opinion, even if they weren't on the same page. 
God meets us with love and compassion, even when we're the ones asking, are you the one? Given the state of our world right now, it seems fair to ask, are you the one? When in the US state governments are passing laws to revise history, I think it's okay to ask, are you the one? When gun violence in the United States is considered an epidemic, we should be asking, are you the one? When it feels like the progress of our country or the progress our country has made on behalf of the LGBTQ community, both old and young, is being reversed, let's ask, are you the one? When anxiety, worry, and fear wake us up in the middle of the night, confronting us with every care and concern, we can't do anything about it two in the morning, but they keep us from sleep and rest that our minds and bodies need, we find ourselves asking more often than not, are you the one? Like John, those of us committed to helping God get what God wants might find ourselves scratching our heads and asking, God, are you the one? If the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear, will those crossing our borders find refuge? Will black lives matter to everyone? And will trans kids receive the support they need and they deserve? Are you the one, Jesus? I think the answer is yes. Because we experience Jesus when we fight against those who are trying to erase history. The answer is yes, because we experience Jesus when we fight to make our world less violent. The answer is yes, because we experience Jesus when we gather at the state capitol to protest on behalf of our trans youth. The answer is yes, because we experience Jesus when we sit on the lawn of a school district expressing our disagreement with their decision to ban reading material from the school library. The answer is yes, because we experience Jesus when we are praying quietly in the middle of the night for peace of mind, body, and soul. The answer is yes, because we experience Jesus when we spend hours in the June Texas heat passing out business cards and Galileo swag, doing our humanly best to make sure everyone knows God's love is real and God's love is for them. The answer is yes, because we experience Jesus when we hold space for each other to do the hard work of deconstruction and theological rehabilitation. The answer is yes, because we experience Jesus every week, in person and online, when we welcome everyone to the Lord's table. The answer is yes, because we experience Jesus when we love each other for who we are and where we are in our life and our faith journeys. Like Jesus and John, we don't bend to prevailing public opinions. Like Jesus and John, we do when we will offend. Like Jesus and John, we will upset, surprise, and we're going to be controversial. Like John, with our doubts and questions and our unconventional ways of existing, the loving, merciful, and compassionate message of Jesus lives through us. God will get what God wants. It might not come as quickly as we want. It's not going to look exactly like we want. But it's wrapped up in our belief in God's kingdom here and now, the promise of hope and a different world. Amen. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. 
This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.